This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Bert Stella coming up top of the hour. Two around the NHL and Week in Review with Matt Marchese. All still to come here across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Simulcast on Sportsnet 360 on television. Uh, meantime, shortly after this program goes off the air, for those watching and listening live, the Chicago Blackhawks will take on the Toronto Maple Leafs. And while the story should probably be Austin Matthews versus Connor Bedard one more time, dominating the headlines is what's happening with Corey Perry, who will be a scratch for the second game in a row. Mark Lazarus from The Athletic covers the Chicago Blackhawks. No stranger to this program. He joins me now for comment. Mark, how are you, pal? I'm good, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm good. So before we get to Bedard and Matthews and the actual game that we're going to see in about 90 minutes here, um, you know, I thought you brought up a really good point the other day on Twitter, which is considering, you know, one of the uh, the mantras around the Chicago Blackhawks uh, of recent note is transparency and trying to provide as much information as possible. Everything around Corey Perry is entirely secretive. Scratched against the Columbus Blue Jackets. He'll be scratched this afternoon against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Luke Richardson has been asked about a uh, you know, hundred different ways what's happening with Corey Perry, and he's you know deflecting. And there's this sort of veil of secrecy that's all around Corey Perry right now. Um, from best that you can glean, what's happening? I wish I had something I could tell you. I, nobody's talking. I guess the organization is completely tight-lipped on this. And and you're you know I'm I'm of two minds on this. There's probably a very good reason. You'd think at least. You'd hope that there's a very good reason why the Blackhawks are doing it this way. But I mean, we've seen this before, right? I mean, the day the Jenner and Block report came out about the Kyle Beach story, who was the first person to address the media and face questions about it? It was Jeremy Colleton. And when, you know, the Blackhawks decided not to wear their pride jerseys last year, who was the first person who had to answer for it? it was Connor Murphy, who was adamant and told me a week before, there's no way we won't wear the jerseys. And now it's Luke Richardson. This doesn't feel like a Luke Richardson decision. He keeps saying it's organizational. That typically means it comes from above. Mm-hmm. And we haven't heard from Kyle Davidson. We haven't heard from Danny Wirtz. We haven't heard from Jamie Faulkner. Something must be happening here. And I don't think Luke Richardson should be the only one having to answer for it. Do do you think that we will at some point? I mean, it's one thing for, you know, a scratch against Columbus and it's another for a second scratch against the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's, I mean, here here's the thing. I mean, you're playing against the Toronto Maple Leafs. There is intense media scrutiny. We all know the traveling, you know, media circus that comes along with the Maple Leafs. This story is huge now. With all due respect to, to Columbus and their media, this is a different this is a different issue. Yeah. Now this is this is a story that has gone nationwide in Canada. Corey Perry is a you know former member of you know various Team Canada teams, gold medalist, Stanley Cup champion, etc. Everyone knows who Corey Perry is, essentially in this country. And now this is a story that is not just about the Blackhawks and not just about their player, but this is a story that, you know, everybody across Canada is asking about what's happening with Corey Perry. Do you think that's lost on the organization or do you think that sort of nudges them into saying something? more than Luke Richardson saying, I'm not going to comment? I don't know. It feels like the truth always comes out in the end, right? But, like, what if this winds up being a silly reason? What if it's, like, a dumb little, you know, uh, a dumb hockey thing and, and, and there's no reason? That it, yeah. If it's a personal matter, say it's a personal matter. If it's a disciplinary reason, say it's a disciplinary reason. By leaving it this vague, all it is is fueling all this wild and baseless speculation. You have people online and, you know, you can never control online. Yeah. But if you just give a little bit you can kind of tamp down some of that fire that's going right now that's just taking over the hockey world. It doesn't have to be this way. So now it's like even when, mm-hmm. when the truth does come out, and it will, I'm sure it always does, uh, we're going to look back at this and be like, well, why, why did it have to be this way? Curious, you know the, you know we were all wondering too, you know the, the other night that that uh, that game against the Columbus Blue Jackets. I mean, you saw it all. Like, okay, does this mean that Corey Perry is being traded? He's being held out because he's going to Edmonton, and Peter Morazic is is going as well. And all of a sudden, other names started getting dragged in. Like, you're right. Like, unless you've heard that, I mean, you know the term "feed the beast." Unless that beast gets fed a little bit with at least, at least a morsel of information, I think this is what you have to expect. Like. This is this is this is PR 101. If you don't give people at least a little bit of what is actually happening, then baseless speculation happens. And essentially what I'm saying is, Mark, the Blackhawks organization cannot be surprised at the nature of the conversation around Corey Perry right now because they've done nothing to put out the fire. 
Right, and I don't think they are surprised. I mean, they're clearly handling it this way because they think it's the best way to be handled, and maybe it is. Again, until we know what's actually happening, maybe it is a very sensitive situation. Yeah. But, you know, you have reporters who have space to fill. You have, you know, airtime to fill. And we're being very careful and cautious about what we say. We're not saying anything really other than reporting sure. that their Blackhawks aren't saying anything. But all that does is just fuel the hockey world beyond, you know, actual journalists in down down to fans and mm. blogs and aggregators and everything becomes sensationalized. And uh, it's just, you know, it, it's always better to tell the truth. It's always better to tell the truth. We'll see where this one goes. Um, okay, so the Chicago Blackhawks. And, you know, going into this week, you know, one of the, the big news stories was Taylor Hall and the knee surgery and going to miss the season. And I think one of the things we're wondering about here now, well, a couple of things. One, um, and this may just even sort of dovetail into, you know, the, fu- the future of Corey Perry as well. But how aggressive do you think Kyle Davidson is doing two things? One, bringing in more healthy bodies of established NHLers to help, you know, Shepard, you know, Connor Bedard and Kevin Korczynski through their, their rookie season. And two, you know, now maybe with some open cap space here, they've already had some to begin with and only 42 contracts out of a possible 50. Does this set the Blackhawks up now, if Kyle Davidson wants, to be a staging post for contracts in exchange for prospects and picks? It could be. I mean, they've done it in the past. Obviously, I, my sense is they don't want to. They don't really want to be that kind of like money launderer for the rest of the league anymore. I mean, if they can get a really good pick out of it, or a prospect they like, or a player, the young player they like on contract, it's certainly not out of the question. But my sense is they kind of want to be past that part of this. You know, they they did the tank, and when you're tanking, that's a great way to do it when you have cap space. They're they're going to have to add sure. actual talent to this roster at some point. I mean, you have a top line of Lucas Reichel, Connor Bedard, and Philip Kershev that's doing very well and looks productive. And then there's literally nobody else that can score on this team. Corey Perry was the third leading scorer on this right. team, and now you've lost him. Taylor Hall was probably your best uh, a player outside of Bedard. He's out for the season. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you want to go and get Macklin Celebrini, this is one way to do it. But I think at some point you're selling 19,000, 20,000 tickets a game. You have to have somebody out there that can score. You don't want Connor Bedard's first year to be him scoring 50 goals and losing 70 games. That's not good for his mentality. That's not good for his future. You, you, you don't want, you know, look, the Blackhawks want a top five pick this year. That's always been the play. But you want to be at sure. least you need to build some kind of culture now because you have five or six rookies in the lineup every night. It's not like last year where these were mm-hmm. journeymen just passing through and filling space for a year. You need to build some kind of winning culture. You brought in Nick Felino and Corey Perry for that reason, Taylor Hall for that reason. So you need to have somebody. So they mm-hmm. should be spending some of that money, some of that cap space just to make this team a little bit more respectable. You know, the uh, Chicago sports market is used to having stars, and Connor Bedard is the latest. Um, I just know, like, from my own household, the, the audit goes like this as far as how big Connor Bedard is. When Elliot and I went to Vegas for the NHL Players Tour, and this is like, you know, the NHL sends all of their stars, and we're going to, we're sitting down with Sidney Crosby, and we're sitting down with, you know, Matthew Barzal, and we're sitting, et cetera, superstars going to this event. The only player my two kids asked about, and one's 11 and the other is 13, is, are you going to meet Connor Bedard? Like, that's it. Like, that's all they yeah. were interested in is, is Connor Bedard going to be there? What's the phenomenon like in the home market? It's incredible. I mean, you know, the, the Chicago public schools had this entire week off because of Thanksgiving and a Hawks practice on, yeah. uh, I can't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday. There were like hundreds of kids there and almost all of them were wearing Bedard jerseys. They're in the stands screaming, Connor, 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 Bedard, Bedard. They're just screaming it. That's all <laughs> they care about. You know, they're not here to see, you know, uh, uh, Lucas Reichel, who is another young, great player. They are here for Connor Bedard. Every game, like you see as many Bedard jerseys as you see 88s and 19s already. Uh, it's pretty remarkable how quickly the city has fallen in love with this kid. And when he scored 10 goals in 17 games, that certainly helps. He's living up to the hype. But uh, it's real. Like, there's a whole yeah. young fan base now that's being minted on Connor Bedard, just like 15 years ago there was with Kane and Taves. You know, in, in Regina, when he played with the Pats, we were always impressed at how mature he was. And yep. in his rookie season with the Chicago Blackhawks, from this perch, we're seeing the exact same thing. But, you know, you're there every single day to, to watch and cover all of this. How is he handling his uh, his first year in the NHL? 
Uh, he's handling it great. He talks almost every day. Like he, you know, because he's on the ice so late working on stuff, he comes into the room when we're already in there. There's no hiding from him, and he's not trying to. He talks at morning skates. He talks yeah. at practices. He talks after games when he scores, sometimes twice in a day. Uh, he's not ducking anybody. The team's not protecting him. I remember Austin Matthews, you know, the Maple Leafs were really careful of with him the first year, and he was 19 at the time, I think. Uh, Bedard, he just turned 18 a few months ago, and he's handling it great. He's very mature. He's very poised. You know, he's very, he's very, you know, guarded. He's not giving away a whole lot, but, you know, he, he listens to your questions and he answers them and he's, he's starting to let it down a little bit and have a little bit more fun and, you know, you know, BS a little bit after the recorders are off maybe a little bit. Um, he's getting, I mean, it's, it's pretty remarkable for a kid that age. I think back to when I was 18 and what a disaster I would have been if you had put a camera in front of my face (laughs) and all the horrible, stupid things I would have said. Uh, I mean, I know he's been training for this since he was 14. He's been talking to press every day since he was 14, but it is pretty remarkable how, how easily it seems to come to him. You know, with, with Matthews too, um, with the rookie season, a a lot of that was about Lou Lamorello who just like, does Mm -hmm. not like rookies doing interviews, doesn't want them talking to anybody. This is the rookie season. Um, and that's how you behave when, when Lou Lamorello was, is, is running the shop. Um, how much of a sense of, you know, the players that he's playing against, and I'm going to go right back to Matthews here with, with Connor Bedard because of, there's the obvious correlation because of the shots. Like, yeah. how much does Connor Bedard go into this game saying, it's me versus him, and I want to have a shot like him. I want to play like him. Like, how much of a sense of the bigger NHL picture do you think Connor Bedard already has? I mean, he's sure as heck not going to say that out loud, but I, I do think, you know, the, the Blackhawks schedule to open the season has been pretty ridiculous until about a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, you know, he started the season against Sidney Crosby and then went right up against Austin Matthews after yeah. that. And then, he's you know, Nikita Kucherov and Steven Stamkos, he's already seen twice. And, you know, uh, Matthew Kachuk, he's already seen twice. And he certainly gets up for that. Like, he wants the challenge. The one to, mm-hmm. When we were in Tampa a couple of weeks ago, he, he picked Kucherov's pocket in the neutral zone and went in and scored. It was pretty remarkable stuff. He certainly wants to play well against those guys, but I mean, he's so obsessive about the game and about, I think Kyle Davidson's the one who said he's obsessed with greatness that you could put him up against you and me and he would still Mm. want to just tear our heads off out there and score as many goals as possible. I don't think it's any different when it's Austin Matthews, but he certainly appreciates and respects those elite players because he wants to be one and frankly already is. Um, Outside of Conor Bedard, I want to ask about Kevin Korczynski. You know, there's, I, I can't tell you how many people from the Western Hockey League uh, have asked me, do you think the Hawks are going to send Korczynski back? Like, a lot of GMs want to trade for him and, and bring him into the mix in the in the Western League. And I keep saying, like, I can't see it happening. Like, he's playing well. Uh, do you have a thought or two just before we conclude on Kevin Korczynski, the other uh, rookie with the Blackhawks? Yeah, yeah. Number seven pick traded for Alex Dabrinkit was traded for him and completely in the shadows yeah. because of the existence of Bedard. <laughs> Any other year, he get all the pressure and all the presence. He's in a great situation. Yes. But yeah, I mean, the season started. We're like, well, he's definitely good enough. He was good enough to play in the NHL last year. We could see that in the preseason. Uh, this year was a whether he was going to get yeah. the nine games. Maybe he goes to World Juniors because he's so young. But He's too good. Like he's an NHL player. There's no reason, especially after what happened to Kirby Dock at World Juniors, the the Hawks would be pretty foolish, I think, to send him there at this point. For sure, uh, he is. He's he's yeah. a top pairing. To, he's a you know he's actually on the number two pairing right now because Alex Vlasic, another young guy, is playing with Seth Jones right now and doing very well. But Korchinski, he looks the part. The way he skates, the way he moves the puck, he's been kind of worrying more about his defense, and I think that's we're still kind of waiting for him to unleash the offense. But you know the glimpses he shows. Uh, you know that that's going to be a dynamic player. I mean, you know, if you're the Blackhawks, you can't help but compare to the previous generation, right? So Bedard's your Kane. Alex Vlasic might be your Nicholas Jalmerson. Kevin Korchinski needs to be the Duncan Keith. If this team is going to be great again, Korchinski has to be your Duncan Keith. And there's signs that, you know, that's there. That's that's, that's an untapped potential that you could reach. I just love that you mentioned Chalmerson. Like I just think like of all those Blackhawks, like the most underrated guy and so oh, yeah. important to that team. I they, just, they do not like, win those cups without Chalmerson. Yeah, they Amen. do not win those cups without him. You, you know, you know, last like you, you you get it. Like that that guy was so crucial to to all of it. Um, and I just like hearing that name again because I loved watching him play. <laughs> uh, Mark, thanks so much for this. The uh, the Corey Perry mystery continues. I know it's a sensitive one, and we'll all hell it, handle it delicately. But you know, we'll see where this story goes. In the meantime, there's a game this afternoon. The Blackhawks facing off against the Maple Leafs. Uh, thanks as always for sharing your expertise. It's much appreciated from this end. You got it, Jeff. Thanks. 
Mark Lazarus from The Athletic covers the Chicago Blackhawks. So, uh, again, from the Blackhawks, and, and again, to, to Mark's point, it is Luke Richardson who's answering the questions about this one. Um, no Danny Wirtz, no Jamie Faulkner, uh, no Kyle Davidson. This is the coach uh, that's being placed in front of the microphones and asked about Corey Perry and talking about things like organizational decisions, to which many of us would wonder if it's an organizational decision, how come it's only the coach that's answering questions about this one at this point? We'll see where this one heads. Uh, But again, this afternoon, Maple Leafs facing off against the Blackhawks. Time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. That brings us Matt Marchese for the first time today. Matty will go over the week that was a little bit later on in the program. In the meantime, what do you have your eyeballs on today? Well, let's look at Hockey Night in Canada tomorrow night. Uh, Maple Leafs at hmm. the Penguins. The puck line is minus one and a half Pittsburgh. The road team is four and one in the last five meetings. The over is 18, seven and one in the last 26 meetings in Pittsburgh. And oh, by the way, it's the Kyle Dubas bowl. Uh, it's the Kyle. Du- Are we actually calling it now? It's the, uh, it's, it's the Kyle Dubas bowl. Well, you know, the, the one thing about, Sidney Crosby, and this goes right back to his rookie season. He has just delighted. And when Jordan Stahl was with with Pittsburgh, he was the same way. Crosby is always just delighted in torching the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, Not that I think that players necessarily save special performances for playing up against the big teams, but I think some players really get up against playing uh, against the big teams on the big stage as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Sidney Crosby is one of those players. Now, interesting with the Pittsburgh Penguins, and we'll see what happens later on tonight when they face off against the Buffalo Sabres. Their power play has been atrocious to the point where Crosby and Malkin are not on the same unit anymore. The Penguins power play is 25th in the NHL, ringing in just over 13%. That is, as we like to say in the industry, ungood. We'll see what happens tomorrow, but the Maple Leafs have the Blackhawks to get through first, and the Pittsburgh Penguins have the Buffalo Sabres to get through as well. That's Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bets Local. When we come back, Gord Stelic from Sirius XM and the NHL Network, also Maple Leafs commentator here on Sportsnet. Back in a moment, Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Keep it... or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Still to come, we'll talk to Matt Marchese and do a little bit of a a weekend review coming up at the bottom of the hour as the... um, the drama season of the NHL continues. Like, is this not the most dramatic season we've ever seen? Or at least start to a season? Every day there's a new chapter. Every day there seems like there's a new soap opera starting. Uh, and it continues into the weekend. And we have afternoon hockey that we can talk about. And we'll watch this afternoon. And I'll take us right into Saturday and Sunday. But before we get there, we'll talk to Gord Stalick, who had to... You know, uh, play a dual role this week, not just as a broadcaster, but maybe as a uh, a therapist as well for his co-host on NHL Network Radio, and that is Scott Lachlan Scorty. How are you today? I know that Scott, I had Scott on yesterday. I know he was sort of despondent. The Kiss had to cancel their show in Toronto, the the last ever tour for Kiss, and I always say that tongue-in-cheek about rock bands. I remember the 1982 Who tour, which was supposed to be their last, and I think I saw them six times after that. Um, but how was how was Lachlan this week? Was Was he okay? How hard did he take the news? Oh boy, you know, I mean, I mean, crushed for uh, for a grown man as well. Like, I, I we we encourage our kids to be passionate. Okay, <laughs> we want them to be passionate, and that's what uh, we yes. benefit with sports. But uh, and so and we kind of lose that as adults sometime. Now he may have it a bit over the top. He, I, I think he'd been looking forward to this all year. It was the biggest day in his life that uh, that oh, yeah. that Kiss concert. Which when they canceled it in Ottawa the night before, I said, Scott, come on, I, I generally. Hey, 70-plus-year-old men, I don't think they're going to get miraculously better uh, the next night. So yeah. anyway, we'll see if the weekend brings him around to a sense of normalcy. 
You know, um, that was the first, like, Kiss was the first ever big rock show that I went to. It was 1979. It was a Dynasty tour, Maple Leaf Gardens, loved it. Still have some old Polaroids somewhere around in some bin here in the house uh, that my dad, I went with my dad and my younger sister. Um, did you have a band, before we get into hockey, did, did, did a young Gord Stalick have a band that he was as passionate as Scott Lachlan is about Kiss? Well, I, I go way back, and I mean, I'm the, the Beatles. Uh, I was a huge fan, and then and, and Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. And I'll tell you, like I wasn't, I, I wasn't a huge uh, concert guy, Jeff, till I fortunately, fortuitously, got to work for the Leafs. And back then, like Springsteen came in 1981, and they would all do sound checks. Like it'd be so cool. Like the the day of the concert, oh, the band yeah. would, and, and so oh, whoever yeah. worked internally would sit out in the Reds, and there's Bruce Springsteen. I think he I think he did uh, Hungry Heart three times. That was his song, you know. And and they'd be there, and they'd come back eight yeah. hours later, and you know. And quite often, tickets, uh, great tickets, were available at the last second. So I, I was really really fortunate. So I would say my passion after that was uh, was uh, Bruce Springsteen, and I, you know, I'm not a diehard about music. I like music. I can't name most songs that I like. I'll just say I like it. And uh, but <laughs> you know, so and so you got me on one extreme, and guys like Scott Walkland and Kiss and a few other bands that he's passionate about on another extreme. I just love it. I should mention as well, uh, Gord is the uh, the co-author, along with Damian Cox, of Revival, the chaotic, colorful journey of the 1977-78 Toronto Maple Leafs. And listen, I grew up in, in Toronto, and so I got a steady dose of Maple Leafs hockey uh, and Buffalo Sabres hockey. I always throw that in because I watch a ton of Leaf games, uh, Sabres games uh, back in the uh, the French Connection days with uh, Ted Darling as the, the great voice of the Buffalo Sabres. But uh, a quick thought on, on your book. I want to have you back on uh, another date, and maybe Damien as well, uh, to talk about it. But uh, give us a quick sort of snapshot of what we can read in this book. Well, you know, it's interesting. You, you, you put 2023 in, and it's about a Maple Leafs team that hadn't got to that next level, like the Maple Leafs this year, not winning a second round. Now, they did win second rounds in Pat Quinn's era, and they did a couple, uh, couple times in Pat Burns' era. But it was the best team since they won their last Stanley Cup in 1967. It had got decimated much like this Leafs team did before they started uh, rebuilding with Austin Matthews and company. And this team rebuilt with, you know, Daryl Sittler and those got Lanny McDonald and company. And it was so, and then Jimmy Gregory and Roger Nielsen, two underrated as great a people as you could meet ever in not just hockey, but in life. So it comes together and you've got this little bit of magic that we we've seen glimpses from this team. And then they beat, they slay the dragon. The New York Islanders who, and mm-hmm. I talked to Chico Resch and Brian Trotti, and they just said, like, they flat out, they, they, the Maple Leafs got bullied by the Philadelphia Flyers uh, early and the, the Bruins, and they turned it around and they brought street bully to the New York Islanders. Like, this, this was a brutal series, but this time the Leafs came out on top, and like Chico Resch said, it taught yeah. them a lot, and they went on one four Stanley Cups. And it's just that they get there, they lose to the Montreal Canadiens in the next round, who are the best team by far then, and then it shows yep. when people say, Jeff, um, we got to blow it up. If you blow it up, how hard it is to get it back together. And this is, so this team got blown up quickly by Punch Imlach, who came over. So you, you never know what could have happened. And then I fast forward, I can't speak 40 years later, the relationship with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and Nylander and Morgan Riley and company. But with Boria coming yeah. back last year, like they're the closest of friends. Boria was with Daryl, Lanny, and Tiger. Here they are. They're the closest friends in hockey, those four. So these iconic figures. So there just was a lot of layers to it. And I, I, I like that people smile when they think about that, those guys, when they think about that era, when they think about that series. Oh, yeah. You know, when you look at the Maple Leafs in that era as well, um, and I want to get to, to NHL action here, like currently in, in 2023, but one, one follow-up here. When you look at that era of Maple Leafs, like, I think we looked at that team and said, geez, Gord, what do you figure, like two pieces away from being like in the conversation with the Islanders, with the Montreal Canadiens, with the Boston Bruins, um, with the Philadelphia Flyers, like, there were a couple of pieces away. Um, how much do you look at that era of hockey and say, if only the Maple Leafs, and by that I mean Harold Ballard at the time, would have bid against WHA contracts and kept some of their, well, specifically their young defensemen who it seemed they all just let, whether it's, you know, Rick Lee or Jim Dory, like all these guys, just let them leave to the WHA. How much different things would have been by the time, you know, uh, by the time the 78, 77, 77, 78 season rolls along. 
Well, no question. And, and so you look at it, first of all, to answer your first part, it seems like they definitely needed a number two center, okay, and probably one more defenseman. And that would have been it, okay, to, to compete. But to go back deeper, yeah. because now the, they lost Bernie Perrant, but Mike Palmatier was the guy. He was phenomenal goal then. So, okay. But you mentioned those names, Rick Lee, Jim Dory, Brad Selwood, uh, three young defensemen. Yes. Right? They all should have been there. Okay, yes. they weren't going to win Norris trophies, but they would have given you that kind of depth and been in their primes at that point. And, yeah, that was, uh, you know, basically game seven against the Islanders. The Leafs are only playing 4D. You know, like they, they, the injuries have depleted and what. But, uh, it, but, yeah, so that two-part, no question if they would have kept, uh, not not the big names of the Bernie Prant, that would have been great, but those other little lesser names, but important cogs. And the feeling is, yeah. and because it blew up so quickly, is probably two more pieces to that team would have would have really, you know, really got them in that next mix against, say, the Montreal Canadiens. Absolutely. Okay. Um, NHL action today, like right now, as we speak, there are games going on. Uh, there'll be a game with the Maple Leafs and the Chicago Blackhawks coming up here in about 50 minutes time. Uh, we're all wondering about Corey Perry. There is a shroud of secrecy around all of that right now. Just talked to Mark Lazarus from The Athletic about it. I think one of the interesting things there, it's it's Luke Richardson, a former Maple Leaf. We'll tie that in, uh, who seems to be the only one that the Blackhawks have put forward to answer questions about this. But we'll park the Hawks talk for a second here um from the maple leafs point of view uh everything right now is revolving around a couple of questions what does brad Treliving do now that another defenseman is going on ltir and that is john klingberg and what do you do with this phenom that is now william nylander like i don't think that even in our wildest dreams that we thought nylander was going to get to this spot both on and off the ice in his in his contract year he's performed and delivered on the ice uh, off the ice, he was the star of the Global Series. Uh, everybody's talking about William Nylander. He's on television shows and just his undershirts, and people are fawning all over him. There's pictures of him on the TTC, and now he's doing commercials for the TTC. Uh, do you have a thought on both, you know, what Treliving does now with Klingberg on the side, and what do you do with this thing that is now the the, the phenom that is William Nylander? Well, uh, first, you know, and again, part of the problem is not developing enough from within. We just talked about uh, those three defensemen going to the World Hockey Association. And for the Leafs, you know, same kind of thing. I mean, it, for every Matthew Nyes, there's really been a drought of players coming up. You hope that Lilligren, you know, when he's healthy, is, is that kind of player. Rasmus Sandin's already left. So the point is, uh, Brad Treliving made defense a priority in Calgary. So the assumption is whether it's a Jake McCabe type or something, uh, you know, or Zadorov, whatever, that there's at least one and maybe two defensemen that that's going to be the focal point as they get close to their, maybe now or get close to the trade deadline. The other thing with Nylander, and, you know, uh, you can say you gambled and lost if you're the Leafs. Nylander would have gambled and lost if he had a subpar season. But I, I, I like the philosophy. I mean, they thought they had a good team in 2013, and they jumped too quickly, and they signed Phil Kessel for eight years and Dion Funda for seven years, and those contracts were problematic like yeah. a year later. So I think they, you know, had to see exactly where the die was cast here. Uh, it's a team, Jeff, that we know it's the, of all the 32 teams, no team puts more of their money, their caps money on four forwards. Okay. That's that. No other team does that. Yep. And now you're going to have to double down. Now you're going to have to double down because you can argue, okay, if, uh, you know, if he goes, it gives you money to get depth. But right now you, you can, you never want to lose the elite player. Like, you know, being able to sign two lesser players never equals the elite player. And, you, you know, you, you, you want to hope that, you know, Nick Robertson and Matthew Nyes and guys that fit under the cap are around and contributing to for that Rubik's Cube that Brad Trilliby's got to figure out. But I think it's pretty simple. I think right now, if this, if you had to ask me, say 9.5 mil, 9, 9 or 9.5 would have done it. We know that ship has sailed. I think the number's just about yeah. 100 grand north of Mitch Marner. It's 11 million. Um, you know, maybe you make it 11.25 Pasternak money. I don't want, I'm not married to eight years. I'd rather take fewer years and knock the salary down a little bit. I'm not married to eight years, but, um, that's what it's going to take. And the thing is, if he walks away, he walks away. Like if he really wants to be a leaf and it looks like he does like Gabriel Landeskog did in Colorado and Steven Stamkos in Tampa Bay. I mean, they, they got to the brink of free agency. That's what you believe. And that's what the organization, if you're a winning organization, uh, you treat everyone well, great city, and he likes all that, um, then, then that should factor in in a positive way. But, you know, Jeff, it's, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of column ideas now for the Toronto Star, and he really stands to be <laughs> the greatest unrestricted free agent in Toronto Maple Leaf history. 
because nobody else has really got to it. Curtis Joseph did, but you knew there was some acrimony there when he left. But, you know, with Matthew signing, everyone usually signs before in that. So this could be the biggest UFA the Toronto Maple Leafs have ever had. It's a really interesting point, and I hadn't considered it that way, but you're not wrong. And, you know, th- th- there's a couple of things here that I wonder about with um, with William Nylander. And we wonder about this with, with pretty much all free agents, uh, to be honest with you. Like, there are teams that will, the way it was described to me today was keep their powder dry, uh, waiting to see what happens with someone like William Nylander. And I can't help but thinking that across the NHL, there are managers that are watching the situation and saying, you know what? If, to your point previously, if he does escape, like if he does go the whole season and there's no contract, they can't come to a they can't come to a deal, and he becomes the the uh, the, the greatest free agent in Toronto Maple Leafs history, I'm sure there are some teams that are out there right now that are saying, you know what, we're going to pause on re-signing some of our guys, just in case, just in case this Nylander thing gets really interesting and it gets to deadline and it gets past deadline and there's still no contract. I can see that happening around the NHL. We've seen it before. Teams making sure they have cap space just in case. And I think here we are with with a lot of teams around the NHL saying, we may have a shot at Nylander, so we're going to pause all of our conversations with our impending free agents. Well, and that's just good business. And you look, I'm not saying Tampa Bay is going to sign Nylander, but you know they're willing to say Steve, Steven Stamkos' nose is a bit out of joint about no negotiations again. But they're willing to say, no, we got we got to yeah. see where the chips fall. And the only other thing is, okay, as you know, Jeff, tampering is extremely illegal and tampering, unofficial tampering, is extremely <laughs> prevalent, right? So there's Does, definitely... Oh, no, no, uh, no, 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 no. Never yeah, happens. There, doesn't happen through, in the through, NHL. Uh, what are you talking about, back channels no, no, no. and whatever it may be and the bat signal going up, there's definitely a sense if a team, if Nylander has certain teams targeted, interested that sense would certainly be out there. So it wouldn't be like this. So there'd be a few that if, if, if he's looking to go somewhere else, there would be a few that would say, okay, we have to kind of figure things out because he's interested in us. You know, it's funny you bring up tampering too. I can recall a conversation I had with uh, with one ex-manager, and I'm like, look, like we all know that tampering exists, and I'm sure everyone has their own unique way of doing it. Uh, how did you do it? And he said, well, you know, sometimes you'll just call an agent and you'll say like, you know, I'm looking for like a, you know, I could really use a right-hand shot defenseman, maybe 28 years old, maybe played as junior and medicine hat with the tigers about six foot three maybe 227 pounds i'd probably be you know probably pay like three and a half million dollars for that if i could find it but anyway i guess those guys just don't exist anyway we'll touch base later well you know i had one where we talk go back to the revival and the second coming of punch Imlock, which was a a disaster for the lease, but he treated me really well in the leaf office uh, personally and and i can remember once he said to me we picked yeah. jim benning in the first round and um, from Portland, and uh, James Patrick had been picked in the first round by the New York Rangers, and, and uh, uh, Punch had to leave, and he said, look, uh, Craig Patrick is supposed to call me back. When he calls, um, a- ask him how much he paid James Patrick. But he said, don't get the exact amount. Make sure it's $1,000 off so we're not colluding, right? So kind of like, you know, mm. so you're, you're able to report back, and back then there, there was not salary disclosure for the players, so you're able to get what, ten- what theoretically sure. is collusion, but by but technically he did not give me the exact amount that I passed on. It was uh, you know it was it, you know I could figure out that it was uh, 101,000 probably meant 100 you know and signing bonus of 126 probably <laughs> meant 125 you know and uh, and I, yeah. I always remember that like I'm just a kid and that's and that's the one thing he said you know you know we're looking for that information uh, but but uh, tell him tell him to you know make sure he's uh, he doesn't give the exact number so so if you're in the court of law that's you didn't awesome. you you did not get the exact number. Um, now, I don't think the Maple Leafs are going to end up with Patrick Kane. Uh, I think that there was probably a conversation there, but I don't think the Maple Leafs are going to end up with Patrick Kane. But, um, I mean, listen, you and Scotty tour around the NHL five days a week. Um, do, you have a, do you have a thought if you're going to throw a dart here? Because this decision is coming. Like, there's a, a certain date on the calendar here by which he has to make up his mind. Um, we've wondered about Florida. We've wondered about Buffalo. We've wondered about Detroit. We know there's interest in the West, but I know that, uh, you know, given the, the the nature of what he's coming off of, travel might be an issue. Uh, so that may disqualify a lot of the teams from the West. But nonetheless, uh, where is your dart landing 
with Patrick Kane? You know, I, I, I do think Toronto, when I say has a chance, I don't think they're going at him hard. I just think he, 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 he likes the situation. Like, he wants, to, he wants to win again, okay? And that's where Buffalo would be the sentimental one, and that'd be a nice story. But, you know, I don't think they're, they're quite at the level that he's looking to, you know, get on get an, on an elite team. And it's going to be different when so much was expected. But then with the New York Rangers last year, it's more, you know, he's going to be, um, I'll bring up, I know Corey Perry's in the news for other reasons, but kind of what Corey Perry's done the last couple of years, yeah. with, you know, with various really good NHL teams. So uh, I'm, I'm with you when I hear about Florida comes up big, Dallas does. Uh, um, Detroit, again, I think is kind of like Buffalo, like they're on the move. But I, I, I do think yeah. it, to me, like, like Dallas and Florida seem like really logical stops for him. You know, really good teams. Uh, I, know, I know Dallas is in the West, not in the East, but it, it's not in the Pacific side and that. And I, I just think it's such a, a great organization right now. So that's when I kind of look at it. But I think there's mm-hmm. a, I mean, I'm not saying, I don't think Toronto's hot after him, but, but I, I think there is an outside chance there. Uh, and really quickly before I let you go, um, listen, uh, we know things are really bad with the Edmonton Oilers. We'll see what happens later on today as the Oilers face off against the suddenly good Washington Capitals. And what a story Charlie Lindgren's been. What a great story Dylan Strom has been. Tom Wilson with a, a big game against the Buffalo Sabres the other night as well. Um, do you have a thought on on Edmonton here? Like, I, I just feel like they've been a punching bag for such a long time. I don't know how much more oxygen I have to share trying to solve the problems of the Edmonton Oilers, but where's going Stelic at with the Oilers right now? Uh, they're going to make the playoffs. Is where I'm at. I mean, they're they're, they're too good. And you know, um, I mean, I'm not. I don't have the standings in front of me, but I know it was eight points. Well, you're, you're not going to catch Vegas, okay? But if you're talking about making the playoffs, it's it, you know, it's around eight points against you know some teams that are really in the Midland category. Like everything that could possibly go, have gone wrong has gone wrong there. Like even you know, like even you look last game. Uh, and it's not an excuse because you, you you can't say the bad bounces all the time, but you get Zach Hyman with a broken stick, then a clearing pass hits him and the button stays in as he's going to get a stick, and you got a defenseman falling on a loose stick for another goal. I mean, all these kind of things. I do think they got to get a goaltender. Uh, you know, just something, something. You know, just whatever, whatever the rent rent a goalie is uh, in the NHL version right now. A you know, go the uh, go the like like hey like Vegas. You know, they got bodies and it worked out and you know. It was good enough. And I just think just one other, because I think Stuart Skinner, uh, you got to believe in him. He can't play 90% of the games and that. And I think, you know, he'll get whether it's his confidence back or whatever else. But that, that's just the one glaring thing. Other things you, you, you know you got to address the whole, whether it's the attention to detail for defensively and all that stuff. Like, I, how do they get bad? You know, but hey, Jeff, I expect them to make playoffs. But you remember, one year the Tampa Bay Lightning flat ran out of time, right? And they did win a Stanley Cup later yep. on, but one year. They flat did not make the playoffs when they should have. So I'm not saying obviously that that's a, that's not a possibility, but I, I just I just really believe that they're going to be able to do it. I really do. So uh, uh, we'll see how it all plays out. But man, it's been a really uh, really ugly situation. So wow. an unexpected ugly situation so far. You know, like we've said about Edmonton all season long, it's not an 82-game schedule. It's 82 one-game seasons is what it feels like with the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Gord, great stuff. Looking forward to having you back on sooner. i got to get in before Christmas to talk about your new book, Revival, with Damien. Uh, have a great weekend. I'm not sure if you're curling or playing tennis or maybe both, uh, but whatever you're doing, enjoy yourself, and we'll, we'll catch up soon. Okay. Uh, hopefully doing both, and thanks as always, Jeff. Great catch-up. You have a good one too, okay? There he is, the great Gord Stalick, uh, along with Scott Lachlan, uh, host of NHL Morning Skate on Sirius XM Channel 91, NHL Network Radio. Let me do a quick check of my phone here as we bring in Matt Marchese. Maddie, I'm waiting for something. And no, it has not come in yet. Okay, <laughs> we'll see. There's a, I do love when you do sorry, that, Jeff. I, I, I know do I love hate it. it, I hate it, I hate it. I, I, I just... I just think it's bad. I just think it's bad. I'm just waiting for one thing. No, it's there. it's funny though it's because still, no. you're keeping everybody on their toes here, which I like. <laughs> no, but no, but it, it, anyone can do that. Anyone can say, "Oh, hang on, I'm waiting for something to come in." I just oh, Jeff, hold on, I'm waiting for something here. Um, no, yeah, I no, know. it's not I know, there. Right? Sorry, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, is you saying that and me saying that, we know who's telling the truth here and who's lying. <laughs> Could be me. <laughs> yeah. No. No. It's could definitely. Me. It's definitely me. Could just be. Could. Could just. Could just be a front. Um, man, we got games. Uh, we got games this we afternoon. Do. There's 15 games on the schedule, and you know, you look right now. 
Um, there's a couple of games that are underway right now. The Detroit Red Wings, JT Comfort has scored his fourth goal of the season. They lead the Boston Bruins by a score of one nothing. Zabanajad and Kreider have scored for the Rangers. They lead the Philadelphia Flyers by a score of two nothing. Carter Hart has surrendered two on three shots Not so good. far. So we'll see what happens there. What do you make of the Flyers right now, by the way? I'm just waiting for the collapse, right? Like it's a young team, and you're just—it's a nice I just story. Don't know if it's going to be like a. I don't know if it's going to be a collapse, though. Do you? Like, I, I think that they're going to take a step back. Like, I don't think that... I guess that's probably... Yeah. Over. Yeah. That's but probably I, the director. I, I, I just don't know. Yeah. I, I just don't know that it's going to be like... They're going to be down there in, like, San Jose territory. I just think that there's there are too many good players on that roster, and John Tortorella has his team fired up. And by the way, can I throw, can I throw something in about one player specifically? And I know there's a situation with Morgan Frost, and we'll see where that one ends up, but um, we don't talk a lot about players like Sean Walker, but we probably should. He's been really good for that. He was the throw-in. Like I, I, really, I, I know, right? And I really do wonder if Sean Walker is going to end up being someone that like, I'll put it this way. If the Philadelphia Flyers, and again, like, they're going to be sellers at the deadline. Like, this rebuild isn't over. Like, don't listen to people that tell you, oh, they're buying. They're lo-. No, they're not. Like, it's still going to be a team that sells because they still know that they're going to build this thing, quote-unquote, the right way. Mitch Goff is still cutting, com- uh, coming. Cutter Goche is still coming, etc. So, I wonder if someone like Sean Walker, like, they like Sean Walker a lot. I wonder if they would do something along the lines of, Deadline comes, they trade Sean Walker somewhere, and then he comes back and resigns with Philadelphia. Hmm. I could see that ha- I could see that happening. Just knowing how they feel about him, I think Walker likes it there from everything that I've been told. Like if they don't do an extension with him like soon or now or this season, I wonder if it's one of those send him somewhere else and then in the offseason he comes back and, and signs with the Flyers. How do you feel about that? Because I, I don't have a problem with it. That was I the like Keith, that was the Keith Kachuk thing, right? When he got traded from St. Louis to Atlanta and then went back to St. Louis. Atlanta. Yeah. And and then went to Atlanta and goes, Holy smokes, they got a problem here. <laughs> Remember they had to bring in Jetnik to cover to, to calm everybody down? Oh my god. Like there was a Kovalchuk issue. It's like, okay, we need a Russian veteran in here fast. Let's get Alexei Jetnik in here quickly. Yeah, how how often does that work out? Bring in the Russian to cure the Russian problem. <laughs> I mean, that not always works. Like so- Sometimes it does. Well, poor Doug McLean. He brought in Sergey Fedorov to fix no, his Nick no, Jirda no, no, problem. No, no. Yeah. And it didn't fix the Nick Jirda problem. No. And then he had a Sergey Fedorov problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, Washington with uh, Fedorov and Kozlov. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, that one. So there was one thing, and you texted David Sis, our producer, this. Um, you wanted to remind you of the Vince Carter story. You've told me this one oh, off can, the yeah, air. We can. You told me this one off the air. There this, it is. Oh, 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 oh. Jeff got the beep. He's got a bite. Uh, is there is there a fish on the okay. end of that line? It sounds like. Oh, yes. There's. Okay. Hang on. It <laughs> sounds like there's something happening with Maple Leafs prospect Fraser Minton. Oh. Is that a. He. I think he's on the move. In the Western Hockey League. Let me calm everyone down. So yeah, the, the, yeah the, before everybody goes nuts Maple Leafs prospect, Fraser Minton, yeah. It looks like Fraser Minton's on the move in the uh, in, in the Western Hockey League. Um, not sure where. I would imagine it might. It's, Saskatoon has been all over a lot of players. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's Saskatoon. Fraser Minton plays in Kamloops, uh, and they, you know, they're hosting the Memorial Cup last year. And made a lot of deals to bolster up that team, and now they got to get a lot of picks back, and probably some players as well. I wonder if it's the Blades for Fraser Minton, but there's definitely something happening with Fraser Minton in the Western Hockey League. I will, as we say, we will watch with great interest. Note, great interest. Can you uh, can you filibuster? Of course I can. While I just, of course I can. Okay. That's what You're they pay chat. me for. The camera will be on me texting. <laughs> or just go hot on go hot on Maddie. We can go we can go a single on me. That's fine. It's really good All for right. TV. Okay. So uh, my thing has always been the the interesting thing about junior hockey is those teams that do end up going to a Memorial Cup and trading away and in a lot of cases they trade for guys that 
are a little bit older. Maybe they're going to the AHL or the NHL the next year. I find it very interesting how cyclical it is in the OHL in terms of how much capital guys trade teams trade away to get these players. And then it's like, Oh, well now we got to do something else. Let's, let's try and get other pieces in here and trade away those guys that we brought in. So I've always thought that that's a really interesting way that junior hockey works, that cyclical uh, way that it works. So very interesting to see where Fraser Minton okay. goes. I I think it's Saskatoon. Let me uh let me send a couple of texts here. Tell you what, you and I are gonna do the weekend review here in a couple of moments. Let mm-hmm. me see if I can nail this thing in five minutes during our break. How about that? This is this is gonna be my test. Okay. This will be my test. Okay, so Fraser Minton, uh, Maple Leafs prospect, is on the move in the Western Hockey League. I believe it's Saskatoon. Not a hundred percent sure on that, but it kind of feels that way. Um, we'll hit a break. We'll come back with the uh, the weekend review with Matt Marchese. Matty, thank you. Uh, across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on 360 and your favorite podcast platform, Merrick Show continues. Let's see if I can get this. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, I'm pretty sure it's Saskatoon. How about that, Maddie? Nice work. In five minutes, I've you know, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see what's uh, like. This is this is a big one. You even know what I'm talking about. Just before I went to the break, uh, Fraser Minson of the uh, Kamloops Blazers, who was just named captain, by the way, um, is on the move from the Kamloops Blazers. I believe it's to the Saskatoon Blades. Not sure what the return is, but you'd have to think the Camloops will be looking for multiple picks and probably at least one player uh, and anything going back and like probably first round picks. So we'll see where this one where this one heads. But Maple Leafs prospect Frazier Minton, um, who's like top five on the depth chart for uh, prospects of the Toronto Maple Leafs on the move in the Western Hockey League. OK, if I if I get anything, I'll send it out. Uh Anyway, in the meantime, I get uh, undistracted here <laughs> by this uh, by this news. Um, the week that was, mm-hmm. I don't know where you want to start because maybe the biggest story right now is a curiosity and the the mystery that is what's happening with Corey Perry, um, and we don't know. And the team has been quiet about the entire thing. He didn't play against Columbus on Wednesday. He will not play uh, tonight or this afternoon for the Chicago Blackhawks against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Luke Richardson, has the head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks, has talked about it being an organizational decision. So this would have to be something more significant than just slept in. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, But we don't know. And I, I think sane people in this situation don't guess. So I'm not going to guess. Yeah, it'd be foolish. Um, Twitter runs crazy. We all know that. Or X runs crazy, whatever we want to call it today. So I'm not going to throw darts at it. It could be a number of things. It could be something big. It could be something trivial. We just don't know at this point. We'll have to wait and hear from the Blackhawks um, when they decide um, they're going to discuss the Corey Perry situation. Just one thing on... Right now, Luke Richardson ain't talking about it. Yeah, just one thing on that, Jeff. Like, I, I... I feel for Luke Richardson in this situation because if he is saying it's organizational, this is not his decision and his decision alone is my guess. So to kind of put him out there, I don't want to use the word cowardly, but it feels kind of cowardly. Like here, Luke Richardson, you take all the all I know the, what you're saying. the shrapnel that's coming your way. I understand what you're saying. I get that. Um, I wonder if there's... There's a reason that it's not Wirtz or Faulkner or Davidson that's commenting right now, and they need to come to some type of conclusion on all of this until they do. Again, I'm not saying what's right and what's wrong. I'm not saying who should be the one out there. All I know is Luke Richardson, to Mark Lazarus's point in the first hour of the program, is the only one out there answering microphones and answering questions from various reporters. Anyhow, in about uh, just over 20 minutes, we'll see the Toronto Police facing off against the Chicago Blackhawks. But the week that was, like, what stands out for you, positive or negative? And I'm guessing it's a negative, and I'm guessing it's the Oilers. No, you know what? I'm not going to take a kick in that at that can now, Jeff, because I think I've said enough on the, on the But there's Oilers. more. I know. It just... But there's more. You know, it, you know the... The, 
the pictures of Connor McDavid just sitting on the bench, so dejected and pissed off, are like you just okay. you you look at it and you say, imagine wasting this. I want to say once in a lifetime talent because we will see more of it. We've already we're seeing Connor Bedard, but this kind of talent, and not only that kind of talent, is the other guy that you have in Leon Dreisaitl, and say, yeah, you know what, we're going to go into this season and our goaltending, you know, we it got us to a certain point last year, and we could probably get there again because Connor and Leon are going to be great. That that thinking yeah. and that thought process to me has always been flawed because when you go into every off season especially a team like the Oilers who there are so many expectations for, for you to just be okay with the status quo and be like, yeah, you know what? We're going to be fine here. Yeah. We're going to be able to defend better. We have Matias Ekholm and, you know, Darnell Nurse is going to take a step forward, whatever the case may be. I just look at it and say like, this is, it's an organizational miss here that you think that the status quo is okay. Because you know what? While you're staying the same, other teams are trying to get better, and they are getting better. That's the difference here. Mm-hmm. So Elliot and I talked about this on one of our podcasts. I think it was last week. They all run uh, together Elliot now. Was eh? bringing up and <laughs> I all of it. The, the podcast, this show, all of it like with the my Oilers, life, uh, everything. <laughs> so there used to be this thing that we would always note on television. Did you ever hear "Cut to McCabe"? You ever hear that game? Whenever yes. there was a bad moment yes. in a hockey game, the camera would always cut to Brian McCabe. Mm-hmm. And in every Leafs game, something happened, cut to McCabe for, like, the reaction. And that now in the NHL has morphed to cut to Connor. Yeah. Doesn't matter if he's on the ice or if he's on the bench. And I'm kind of, I'm actually kind of surprised that Edmonton hasn't said, like, guys, can you stop this, please? Because after every bad goal, after every bad whatever for Edmonton, the cut is always cut to Connor. And he must be the worst poker player in the world because he cannot hide his emotions at all. Like, you know exactly how Connor McDavid is feeling. Like, it, it's become very much a thing. Like, I'll watch Oilers games and it's like, oh, they just scored two. Quick cut to Connor. Yeah. On TV. It, like, that's kind of what it's become. Um, no one's taking delight in this by any stretch of the imagination. No one's taking any, unless you're like a Calgary Flames fan. I guess if you're a Flames fan, you're taking delight in this. Um, you know, maybe if you're a, a Penguins fan, you're taking delight in what was happening to the Columbus Blue Jackets before that win against the Chicago Blackhawks. But it was a relief to see Columbus finally win a game, right? And for Patrick Line to finally score a goal, albeit as someone, you know, there texted me like, you know, it's bad because he finally scores a goal and not even a smile, like yeah. not even close to a smile. Fantilli with a gorgeous, I, it's the 7-1 goal. Like I understand it. You're not going to do a big celebration when you just turned a 6-1 to score into a 7-1 to score, but still like nothing. <laughs> he scores and nothing uh, from Patrick Lyonet. But I think we're all most sane people. I think we're happy to see Columbus get off that horrible losing streak and we'll see what happens subsequently but there's been a whole lot of that around the nhl in the last couple of weeks like watching teams just for the car crash factor like remember that san jose edmonton game why did everybody watch that game of course they were waiting for why the, did yeah. everybody in the east everybody everybody in the east stay up late to watch the oilers play the san jose sharks a couple of weeks ago and they got their cookie because edmonton lost the game sure did and it was just pinata time. And it was just pinata time. You you anyway. know you know that Patrick Lyonet, after he scored that goal, may not have smiled, but on the inside he's going, "Yeah, I'm playing next game." <laughs> like <laughs> I scored a goal I here. I'm myself again. <laughs> that's how rookies. It's yeah. a rookies thing. Like that's what like Luke Evangelista when he got called up from Milwaukee with the National Predators was thinking. Like, okay, I got a goal. I bought myself another day. Yeah. Well, oh, I got an assist, or I got two helpers. Like, I just bought myself another game. Not the guy that's, that's making seven million dollars. <laughs> That's not supposed to be what Patrick Lyonet so thinks. Here, here's the other one. This for, for me, this was the kind of big-ish one this week, and it's shockingly, Jeff, it's not negative. Um, it's the talk about the not-called World Cup of Hockey that we are might be getting in 2025, and I'm that was one of the big things that came out this week, and I'm really looking forward to it because we all love international hockey, and... As much as, you know, we like to give other nations a shot, I'm kind of really intrigued by having four teams and what format that they come up with and what ends up being finalized because I really think that this could 
have the makings of being a lot of fun. Like if they're playing, you know, uh, mini series or whatever, like I think you can create some sort of right. I mean, it's hard because all the players like each other uh, or at least most of them do. But I think that there's a real opportunity here to have some fun with this. And I'm really curious to see what they come up with, what the format is, but I'm just happy that we're talking about international hockey being back on the calendar because frankly, best on best for me, that's those are the moments that I remember, uh, whether it be, you know, Salt Lake or 96 World Cup or, um, and you and I have talked about that, and yeah. or, you know, 2010 in Vancouver, all of those things. That's the best hockey that you're going to see. And I'm happy that we get to hopefully see that uh, very soon. Although 2025 feels like it's a mile away, but uh, it probably isn't. Yeah, so you you don't mind it if it's only four teams? Like if it's only Finland, Sweden, Canada, U.S.? No, I don't. And because there's... Jeff, how many times have we seen those low-calorie games like 7-1, 8-1? Like, who cares? I mean, the odd time Switzerland will beat Canada and everybody's going to go, oh my God, look what just happened. But... It doesn't happen all that often. Not often enough for me to say, you know what, it's imperative that those teams are in there. I mean, the Russia thing is obviously looming large. And, you know, who would they kick out of the of the four teams? Well, maybe not anybody. But certainly that that's going to be interesting as well. You could go to five teams eventually if that's what you wanted mm-hmm. to do. But I think four is okay because it allows you to do something a little bit different as well. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. No, I know. I get it. Like you're trying to make the best of a, of a, of a, of a tough situation here and with no participation from Russia, um, it's going to be difficult to have one of those superpower tournaments. And the interesting thing about hockey in Europe right now is, you know, I'd like to see a team from Germany. Sure. I'd like to see a team from Switzerland as well. I'd also like to see a team from the Czech Republic and Slovakia. Thank you very much. Um, but if the, if the conversation is, do you want a four team tournament or no tournament? Four is good. I'll take the four team <laughs> tournament. Yeah, four is okay. But I mean, <laughs> you want it, but you want to see like Dreisaitl and Stutzla and Roman Yossi, like do you, and David Pasternak, like, do you not want to, like, you want to see all of that. Yeah. But again, if it's got to be the four, okay, plug your nose and say it's better than none at this point. And geopolitics being what geopolitics are, we understand why there's not going to be any Russian participation and will not be any Russian participation in international hockey for a while. And we just all have to be settled with that. And I understand why that decision has been made. And I think we all do because we've all had that debate already. It's just, it's just not going to be the same as you mentioned 96 or 87 or Salt Lake, mm-hmm. or you know, I always go back to 1976 uh, with the original Canada Cup tournament. But here's a it's question: going to be Sweden, Finland, and it's going to be Canada, U.S. I just hope they can they can do some games in Europe. Like I hope they yeah. can do like a couple of games in Stockholm and Helsinki before having the final in New York or Philadelphia or wherever. Yeah. So here's a question: Somebody brought this up because obviously it's not going to okay. be called the World Cup of Hockey. So what are we going to call it? Our pal Paul Paduti came up with a wonderful name for it, and I wanted to see what you thought of it because you like old school. How about calling it the Makita Cup? Okay. The Makita Cup, mm-hmm. because he was uh, Czechoslovakian who came over and became Canadian. Could do that. We, you know what? I like. I got one better. Let's call it the Peter Nedved Cup, because he, because he got to play for Canada at one point. <laughs> uh, it is an interesting question. I mean, I'm I'm sure there's going to be some wildly creative answer and that nobody is going to like. Uh, as and the trophy uh, for, that nobody's going to like calling this thing. Oh man, do you remember that one in the 2004? Tin can? Yeah, I remember that. I was at one of the games uh, there. That, that that. Which game did you go to? Oh boy, Canada and I want to say it was Canada Russia, and um, my parents came home one day from work or whatever, and my dad's like, "Oh, I got I got two tickets." I'm like, "Well, you can take uh, my brother Alex." I was like, "You could take Alex because I got a party to go to that night." I was in high school, so I was really cool, 15 years old. And my dad goes, actually, you're going to take your brother. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. We were sitting like uh, 25 rows behind one of the nets, and it was the opposing net. So I got to see Mario Lemieux score one of his last goals, if I'm not mistaken. Um, 
in that. And one. then we got to then we got to watch him hold that trophy. Oh yeah, that was. I, mean, I shouldn't. The tin was can. Ugly. It was so ugly. That was a bad <laughs> one. They're passing. are like, I don't want to touch this. What is this thing? <laughs> and then the next day, the NHL went dark and everybody was locked out. We all looked at that and we knew what it was from the moment it was first announced. And that was a cash grab from both sides because they were hunkering down for a long lockout. Yeah, that was bad. That was, that was no fun. I mean, there's one thing to have, you know, when COVID happens and there's no hockey, that's one thing. But when it's the other way around, Jeff, the first year that I produced Hockey Central... As a young producer, we yeah. had no hockey for almost the entire season. Like it was. Did you produce it that year? Because I, I was oh, yeah. I was doing Leafs lunch with Waters over at six forty. Were you the producer of Hockey Central at I that sh- point? I sure was. And um, I'll tell you Ooh. a story. I'll tell you a story off the air about how uh, I created something out of nothing that I really shouldn't have, and there was a little bit of fibbing in there about booking guests. I'm pretty sure you could probably put it together on, yeah, this guy's coming on. Oh, okay, then we're coming on too. <laughs> and neither of them were coming on at that point. What? Oh, yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, basically. All I know is me and Waters had, me, me, me and Waters, go, go, you got the story, okay. go for it. All right, so basically what I did was I went in and said, okay, we got to do something here. And I said, okay, how yeah. about we tell one side that somebody's coming on so that the other side will say, well, we're coming on too. Oh, and then I, I played it. them against each other. Okay, and I'm giving yeah, you way yeah. too much information on the air. But I'm not saying who it was, so it doesn't matter. So uh, you tell Bob Goodenow's people, you tell the Players Association, so you call Jonathan Weatherden and you say, hey, we've got Gary Bettman coming on. Is that how you're doing it? And then Weatherden Kinda. comes back to, okay, well, we're going to have our guy on. Kind of, yeah. I was very young yeah, at that you know point. What, you know what we... <laughs> You know, you know what? Okay, because I because co- I covered it well. Like I was mentioning to you, like, I covered it as well with um, with Waters on Leafs Lunch. We were on every day. Like they gave us, they kept the, the two hour show on. Yeah, um, a hockey show with with no hockey going on. And what we found is when we talked about the issues around the lockout, it was kind of a tune out. Like there's only so long you can talk about escrow. salary caps and and escrow and things like that. It's kind of, it's kind of a tune out. So what we did is. Um, we sort of gimm—I don't know—I like gimmicked it up, but we just turned it into like telling great old hockey stories. Like yes. we had two benchmark days, Tuesdays and Thursdays. One day we had guests from the WHA, people that played in the Rock and Roll Rebel League of the '70s, and it was just like nonstop stories about like Machine Gun Gallant and Steve Durbano and Frankie Beaton, like all these like wild stories mm-hmm. from the WHA. Ed Willis's book, I think, came out right around the same time, so it was kind of like it was kind of perfect um and then on thursdays we would have a guest from the movie slap shot every single oh week. yeah you know what the highlight was like there were a few like chris murney was great who uh played hanrahan who by the way so he may end up outside of you know paul newman and probably michael onkeen uh the richest out of all those people that were in the movie you know why you i know do, why chris I, you told me this i know why he later went on as a voice actor to be the voice of Chester the Cheetah from the Cheetos commercials and just like Scrooge McDuck diving into a basement full of gold coins <laughs> and surfed on that for years and years. But I remember talking to Nancy Dowd and I've always wanted to follow up, but I've never had a chance to talk to her afterwards. So Nancy is the woman who wrote the movie and a lot of the dialogue came from her brother, Ned, who played minor pro hockey, later on became a producer and produced Last of the Mohicans. That was his big Hollywood Hollywood epic. But he would take a tape recorder in the dressing room and just record the conversations. And that became the basis of the conversations in the movie Slapshot. And Nancy told me something that blew my mind, and I still think about it to this day whenever I think about the movie Slapshot. And we were talking about the character uh, Reggie Dunlop, right? Uh, Paul Newman played it just... Perfectly, and we can't imagine anyone other than Paul Newman playing coach player Reg Dunlop, player, mm-hmm. player coach Reg Dunlop. She told me there was one Hollywood actor who would call her like every single day, her and George Roy Hill, who would have produced it or directed it, um, called her every single day begging for the part of Reg Dunlop. And that actor was, I just close your eyes for a second here and imagine this actor as Reg Dunlop, not Paul Newman. 
imagine Al Pacino. Oh, Paisan. As Reggie Dunlop. Because she told me that he called relentlessly. That's wild. For that part. That's wild. And I can't imagine it. I can't imagine because I because Paul Newman was so great and so perfect for that role. Now the speeches would have taken on a whole different role. Yep. The uh, scouts scene might have taken on a whole different role, but still, I can't see Al Pacino for one second. But that's what we did during the lockout. We just gimmicked like you had to do the janitorial work of like covering the news and doing like, okay, so they're negotiating here, and you know uh, Jeremy Roenick says they'll come off the salary cap, and then here's the reaction to all of it and. But basically, the only thing that people wanted to hear at that point were great old hockey stories. Yeah. And so that's what we did for two hours a day. Mm -hmm. And it was some of the most fun that I've ever had on radio. Some of the most fun. Yeah. And you know what, Jeff? We kind of did that with the, you know, what became of Hockey Central during COVID as well. Like, I could book that show for an entire week because we knew there was nothing going on. And we had lots of former players and GMs and coaches. Coaches. And and we did, you know... Berkey I'll, always wanted to talk about coaches. Remember, yeah, Berkey did. always wanted to talk to coaches. Yeah. Like, Give me more coaches. Give me more coaches. Well, Berkey we got all the coaches. coaches. He booked so well, many guests. That too, I mean, yeah. I, I had to... I basically <laughs> just was like, yeah, you know, Berkey, who do you want? Oh, I can get this guy. Hey, Berkey, you can, you can produce the show. You can take the paycheck, too, while you're at it. Um, can I give you a quick machine gun yeah. gallant before we get out of here? So... I don't know. Oh, Gordy Gallant. Yeah. yeah. Is, is this the Harry Neal story? Well, I don't I don't know anything about Gordy Gallant. The only thing I know is that when my dad did a, a cable TV show, they handed out a golden yeah. jock strap for people that did really dumb things in sports, him and his his buddy Wally that they would do the show with. And they do a show now, a radio show on Sundays. Yeah. And um, they handed, yeah. theirs was to Gordy Gallant for punching Harry Neal. That's who they gave the golden jock strap to. And I've seen the footage of this show where they it's they bad. announce the no this is for the show that where they announce this okay. thing with my dad with the long hair and the glasses that's the only thing i know about gordy machine gun gone is that he won um the golden did jockstrap they, on this show they did not get to hand it to him did I was going to say, did they have him on the show? Because I had always tried to book Gordy Gallant, and he never wanted to talk about his career in the WHA. The Harry Neal thing was bad. Like, it was like a hotel late at night, and they're making too much noise. And I think Harry might have been in his underwear, went down and knocked the hallway, knocked on the door, <laughs> and said, you know, knock it off. And Gallant met him with a right. Yeah. WHA, poor, baby. Poor Harry. I love Harry. You and me both love Harry Neal. Uh, on that, we'll send you into the weekend. There's games going on right now, and there's a couple about to start in a couple of moments. Enjoy it. We're back with the Merrick Show Monday, noon Eastern, 9 Pacific. Enjoy your weekend. Conduct yourself accordingly. Thanks, Maddie. Thanks, David. Thanks, everybody, for taking part in the show today and all week long. Talk to you on Monday. <laughs>